Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Um, 
yeah, feeling feeling a bit better than last week. Things have loosened up in my neck and back, but it's um, yeah, I'm grateful for that at this point. And just, good. Uh, oh, your your consistent application and ingestion of hypericum helped you to recover. It definitely did, um, although I had, like, on Saturday, I did something to set myself back. Um, we still had the kitchen remodeling stuff going on, so I was participating. I One of my things was I needed to stain wood, so I don't think my arm and shoulder liked that um, going on so much the day before. So repetitive, I, you know, that repetitive motion, yeah. Yes, exactly. And the sawhorses that I had the wood laid out on were a little lower than probably ideal. Uh, but so since we're talking about it, I'll ask. Um, my husband, like, he saw me in not as much agony because I had the hypericum. I had the water bottle heating pad and things, like, ready um, in case, you know, in the middle of the night. But he, the next morning, he's like, is there anything I can do or get for you? And I was like, no, 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 you know, I think we're doing it all. But he came home with something called tiger balm that is seems a little heroic, but it's menthol and camphor. And um, I just wanted to hear what you thought about that because he did put it on, and it was interesting. Um, I, I mean, I asked him, yeah, let's try it. I want to feel like, you know, so I asked him to put some on, and he, on me, and um, it felt cooling like and it didn't feel like it relieved the pain completely but it made it not so piercing and they had a knife and was turning it um but it did obviously leave like a big sensation of you know my am i hot am i cold am i hot am i cold was interesting with hot flashes for sure (laughs) um yeah so yeah i was Curious. What are your thoughts about like menthol and a camphor rub? Essential oils. That's what I figured was probably in there. Yeah. That's, yeah I, that's what those that's what those are. And okay. they definitely do have those effects. And lots and lots and lots and lots of people use Tiger Ball and Ben Gay, which is about the same thing actually. Um, really? Maybe. Yeah. I and had no idea. Wow. Yeah. There's an interesting thing you can make yourself that's somewhat like that, which is to make some kind of oil-based preparation of capsicum. Okay. Of course, obviously, if you have fresh capsicum, that's better. But if you don't, you can even go to the drugstore and buy capsicum cream. Interesting. And you put it on. It's not an essential oil, right? And you can, yes, you can use powdered, you know, capsicum. And like the essential oils, it's considered a counter-irritant. In other words, it irritates the area so much that the nerve endings dump all of their substance P, which allows you to feel pain. Mm. 
And they just like go, and all the substance B is gone, and it takes four hours to make more for most people. Wow. So interesting. So you can't. So at first, there's like all this sensation, sensation, and then there's usually hours in which there's no sensation. Mm Mm-hmm. It definitely, yeah, because it was that morning when I got up, it was like, it felt so, I mean, it almost felt like I had just been in a car accident and gotten whiplash, and I couldn't move my head left or right or up or down, and like if I moved my arm, it was like just the weight of my arm made it feel like I was on a nerve between my spine and my scapula. And so it, did. Yeah, it was so, it was to the point where I could feel it shuddering my breath and, and like I could feel it in my chest. I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Um, so I did, yeah, it did provide that relief for about four hours. And I thought about it once it was on my back and I did relate it to the, like the, the pepper that I've heard you talk about with people eating and then like needing more and needing more because it's an irritant. And yeah, so interesting. Well, the hypericum definitely is the way to go. It doesn't, yeah, it, it feels relieving, but it doesn't let you know it's there for like, the four hours because like you're saying the whole time instead of the pain I can feel the other stuff but like cooling heating um so it, yeah it was an interesting experiment <laughs> it, and the hypericum in a way acts in an opposite way because it's anti-inflammatory mm-hmm mm-hmm and, in fact, the pain is there because there's inflammation. So why is there pain and stiffness? Because you injured your muscles, and so your body is putting those muscles in a cast. Mm-hmm. So that you can't move them while they heal. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Hypericum, in my experience, gives me enough relief that I'm not writhing in agony. Mm-hmm. But as you say, helps me remember how your body is asking you to like slow down. Definitely, and, and I have been respecting that Every, more and more. It was, oh, I, I mean. It was my choice. It was a necessity. I, I really needed to get that done um, because they were putting the wood up Saturday morning. So I had to do it. Um, but, or, I, you know, I had to do it or face the consequence of dealing with the ladder and staining wood next to the ceiling, which I didn't want to face that consequence. But I faced this one, and it definitely um, was painful. <laughs> so I have been respecting and a not overdoing it. I've been taking it real easy, not lifting heavy things, and even on the computer, change my position because I I can really feel how it's been. I mean, there's a lot of blessings in this because I can feel where my posture has not been, like my habits have not been mindful enough of my posture, like sitting where I sit. My computer's just was too low. Um, so, Making those adjustments, I think, are really helpful. Um, 
Thank you. I'm so glad you're looking at that, especially as a homesteader, but also as an herbalist. Our physical ability is one of our critical abilities. Mm-hmm. It's so important. I've been so aware of that. Yeah, it's not like it's optional. Mm-hmm. You have to have stamina and strength and focus. Yeah. Big time. And it's, I mean, I've been so grateful this week, reminding myself that really it is a big deal. And I've always been grateful and aware um but still, this has just been an opportunity to really tune into that and to be able to watch and feel myself move and, and really catch, hmm, and are, are there ways I could be doing this, especially if it's a repetitive thing um, or something new, like you said last week. Like, that's the time to go get the hypericum, not two hours after you did something where you were like, oh, that was heavy and different. <laughs> Yes, yes, preload, preload. Have it there with yes. you. Yes. Right. Yeah. When, you say, when you say, when you say, and sometimes life gives us, you know, that choice is, am I going to suffer the consequences of doing it or am I going to suffer the consequences of not doing it? Yes. Right. And you say, okay, you know, I'm going to do it, and where's my hypericum? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We started. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. Oh no, go ahead, go right ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that we started my new course, your herbal medicine chest, last night. Oh, how marvelous! Oh my gosh, yay! Yes, wow. it was great, great fun. Steve Stein, a better listen. Um. Ask me if I had audio recordings that he could manage, as it were, to put out on the Internet at public places like Spotify and Audible and so on. And we started going through my amazingly um, huge catalog of recordings. And oh, wow. Unfortunately... The quality available now so far exceeds the quality that those recordings were able to be made at and they were recorded at conferences low those many years ago that mm-hmm. there ensued a lot of discussions about how to, you know, kind of clean them up and edit them up and make them better and da-da-da. And finally I said to Steve, I said, you know, I think it just makes a lot more sense to do new material than try to, like, gussy up the old stuff. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that. That's big. So that, so I proposed, and I'm doing a five-session series. And each session um, has two to six herbs. So 
your herbal medicine chest. The first herb next session, which is Thursday night, is hypericum. Can you guess what the first herb was last night, Monday? Mm, Comfrey? Yellow! (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Got it. Yep. So we started with we started with yarrow. Um, if if it just came down to the one herb that could what could you have? Certainly, I would take yarrow with me into whatever prevailed. Mm. Such a wonderful helper in so many ways. And then we went on to look at skullcap. Ah, and I talked about. Um, the skullcap that grows here in the skullcap swamp, also known as the Senecio swamp. And I talked about harvesting it in thunderstorms. And how I learned that with skullcap, you need to make the tincture where the skullcap is rather than take it home. And I also talked a little about the uh, Chinese skullcap, the bacalensis. Mm. And then we looked at some other pain-relieving herbs. Philopendula. Philopendula is a personal favorite. I first met it at Gretchen's house. It's not a plant that is very common. But very near where Gretchen lives, there are two big patches of it. I would say, oh gosh, maybe even as much as a quarter of an acre of it. Mm. And for the Greenwich holiday, we always go to visit Gretchen and stop by the Philopendula patch. And I used it as an example of plants that contain salicin, willow, poplar, philopendula, and spirea. As a matter of fact, salicin, in its more chemical form, acetosalicylic, acid is known as aspirin, 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 because it's from spirea, aspirin. And how do you, did you talk about, do you use it more topically or the tincture of spirea? You can extract the salicin into water or alcohol, but my preference has always been to extract it into acetic acid, because then I have acetosalicylic acid, which is aspirin. Mm. And it does just what aspirin does without any of its bad side effects. Wow. Yeah. And then 
cannabis and California poppy and kava. Hmm. What a beautiful chest. I love that. Wow. Yeah, so that, that was our first session of your herbal medicine chest. And it was all recorded. When you're attending live, you, of course, get to ask me questions. And those questions are recorded, too. So you can come in at any time. You'll always be able to see all of the sessions once they've been recorded, and you have lifetime access to them once you buy into the course. So uh, I think there's uh, Ezine coming out uh, tomorrow or the next day with a link to your herbal medicine chest, my new five-part online Zoom course that we are Recording and creating even as we speak. It'll be Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday, Monday. Here in December, we just did the first Monday and Thursday coming up. Hypericum, mm. as I said. Hypericum, wormwood, and I'm going to get started talking about echinacea. I have a lot to say about echinacea, so I'm going to roll that over between session two and session three. Wow. So rich. I'm so glad that you had the idea to just do it anew. Sure. What's wow. fun? Hmm. hmm. Our guest tonight is Don Del Vecchio. She's an ascension guide, a priestess, an astrologer, and a Divine Mother Channel and Earth Gaia Devotee. She's the founder of the Return of the Priestess Speaker Series Private Community and a whole host of other things. She'll be with us tonight at 9 o'clock East Coast time. Stay with us or come on back to hear what Dawn has to say about the return of the priestess and how she came to that path. Shall we go on to questions, or do we have more to talk about? Um, Sure, we can go right into questions. I see a lot of callers have dialed in. And I'll remind everyone that if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, all you need to do is press 1. That will get your hand raised in the queue, and I will announce your area code and open your line, and it will be your turn to be online with Susan. Um, So just looking for hands, not seeing anyone with a hand up just yet. Uh, So let's see. I actually do not think that we have any email questions. Um, I wanted to make sure. Yes, we did our last email question. Um, but I don't know. I One thing we could mention maybe before um, we have someone who presses one to raise their hand is Red Clover. I've definitely been excited about that this week because I feel like it's really coming together and um, – I think we've got all of our presenters 
um, and videos are coming in already. So it's just, I feel like, ah, uh, here we go into the dark of winter, but yet the red clover bloom is still happening, um, <laughs> at least when it comes to the virtual conference. So. Red Clover Conference coming up. Over the past week, Justine and I have been working on another beautiful card for my 2024 schedule. As we recall, last year I had the idea of printing my 2023 schedule as what is known in the parlance as a rack card. You know, when you go into the... the stop on the throughway or whatever and there's all the, the cards showing you the the sights of the thing and they're like you know kind of like long skinny postcards those are rack cards and uh, I thought it was a wonderful success so handy and so pretty and so we did it again this year so we've been working on that this week and um, as you recall um, I've been enjoying my time on the Hudson River more and more, and so opening more and more of my schedule to time for me to be out there and not necessarily home teaching. So there was a little more space on the card for 2024 than in 2023, and we filled that space with a beautiful banner for the Red Clover Conference. And we we had this wonderful sense of, oh, uh, you know, how clever are we that we, ha- we get to, in one card to uh, uh, encourage people to um, send in their red clover shorts and yes. to the red conference and, on the other hand, to put out my 2024 schedule. There's really interesting things going on with Green Goddess Week. I am not at liberty to talk about them yet, but just to let you know, as we go into the dark and the quiet, into the time of harboring our deepest dreams, we know, we know that those uh, flowers will burst forth from there. I walked out to my garden where I planted a bunch of garlic, and sure enough, some of it is greenly pushing through because the weather has been quite warm. But mm. I know it's safe yeah. underground, and I'll wait mm. until spring for it to come forth. Mm. What a yummy reward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll remind yeah. everyone, if you've got a question, um, just press 1. We'll see your hand go up in the queue and um, get you on the line with Susan. Um, let's see. I'm not seeing any hands yet. Um, I can always ask my own question or, you know, Bert, did you have more you wanted to say about the rat card and schedule or red clover or anything? No, actually what I had more to say about was the theme that we started talking about last week, which is control. Mm. And or even then control choice and the connection between choice and control because I was talking about how at Thanksgiving that we were arguing about whether or not one really has choice. And so I didn't really hear 
don't specifically say, but the more I thought about it, the more I heard kind of the subtext, which was if you say that you have choice, then you're implying that you ought to have had choice. In other words, in a blame and shame universe, and I compliment you on not blaming or shaming yourself for what you're physically going through as a result of carrying the plywood. Oh, oh, well, thank you. I, I certainly appreciate that. Um, I'm very grateful, you know, to have learned from you and to have heard so many people call and share their, their experiences and, you know, the choices they make either way, um, either to stay engaged in the dance of blame and shame and guilt or to really just open up and see every circumstance, every experience as an opportunity for whatever we choose to make of it. It's the best in the way that we can. Um, you know, what given the it's circumstances every opening have, is opening the wholeness. It really is. It it really is. And it may not at all think be like where I thought the opening was gonna be in the room or on the map or um you know what it would have looked like in a storybook fashion. But that is the beauty and the mystery of it. And I'll say also that you know, it's not only that the opening can come through a painful or a traumatic or a, you know, trying event that just won't go away as quickly as you want it. Um, but it also, that timing, it, it, even the good stuff just really seems to be, make the choice of being, mm, the intention to just have some bit of faith or confidence um, or willingness to keep going even if it doesn't happen right away um just to know that each choice you have to stick with the journey is its own unfolding it's not all about the destination and when the destination is going to get there um and sometimes you realize in the unfolding that i don't know i forget about the destination altogether because it took me somewhere else and then whoa oh my goodness the surprise is there because the destination just came and I didn't even know it or it just, or, you know, what I had been looking for at the beginning just was surprise around a turn after something else. It just is a marvelous. So opening to the mystery and, and just, yeah, knowing in each moment, I, I still, ha- I have a choice and, and beautiful, like being in the flow. Um, I think sometimes that's when, like the first time I thought about a pendulum, like how does it really work? And, maybe what it is more than anything else for some people, I don't know, maybe there's more to it in a quantum way, but I think if nothing else for people like myself who maybe are conditioned to overthink something, it is a training device um, where I'd be, I haven't done it, but if I did lean into that, I'd be building a relationship with this pendulum and um, engaging and kind of thinking up my free will with it in a way where I was surrendering my free will to go with the flow of something other than my old patterned ideas. (laughs) So I sometimes think like 
for some people, a device like a pendulum could at least be a way of breaking free of old patterns. Um, and I think there's a lot of tools like that, but just the general mindset to open to the choice in each moment and see where it flows is such a, there's so much freedom in that, even if you're dealing with something tough. (laughs) If you are pulling up that blame and that shame and that guilt then, then the idea of having choice now somehow casts a long shadow into your past and makes it very hard for you to make a choice right now in the present because of the burden of guilt of the past. It's almost as though you recreate that in the present because you... Mm. Yeah, and I guess because you because you cherish yourself, mm. and and in a way, I think that there's a sense of abandoning yourself if you abandon your blame and your guilt. Mm. Wow! Wow! Wow. Every time I felt like heavy with blame or shame or guilt, it just, oh, it felt like the everything was closing around me. And the longer that I went on with that attitude, um, the more I knew I needed to stop and resolve whatever it was that was causing that need to hold on to that so much. And I think I mentioned even going to Buddhist Sangha for a while and, and just sitting and listening. And, and yeah, I, so I, I definitely, I hear you on that. And I, that is a conundrum for me in, in relationships in my own life um, because sometimes family or friends do, yeah, they do exactly what you said, what you're explaining. And that can be extremely frustrating and painful to watch. And, or even from the almost, inside. Yeah. That, yeah I think, that's I I think it's the hardest part of the journey where you really, like, get it. You get it. You don't have to be involved in blame and shame and guilt. You get it that that's a possibility. You get it that, in fact, not just a possibility, but that you want it. But somehow it seems just like not quite within your reach. And this this is where we really find compassion. Mm. To stick with ourselves through that part. Through knowing it but not being quite there yet. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, that compassion with ourselves is such 
it's interesting because I think that you mentioned like control also, and I think for at least people that I know and even myself, like that that aspect of control, sometimes it goes along with just not having a willingness to ha- extend that compassion to yourself. If something seems to be that you could have done, like you said, if you look back and you could have had more control in that moment, then the blame, shame, guilt comes out and the compassion is gone because your opportunity for control wasn't exercised in the way that you thought it would have been or something. Um, But yet in the moment, you still aren't making choices that are affecting your present moment. So it's like, it's just a crazy stuckness. Um, And like, yeah, and the compassion would, would go so far both from the person experiencing it and the first people watching, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, that also then frees up a lot of energy for self-care. Yes, that is so true. Yeah. One of the things about herbal medicine is it does require us to take care of ourselves. Of course, ideally, any medicine requires us to take care of ourselves. But my medicine sometimes seems like it doesn't. And so we can not have much energy for self-care and feed it more into the blame and shame. But once I think we start working with herbal medicine and we really understand how much we need to take care of ourselves, it's hard again to drag along all that shame and blame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also think it feeds into second-guessing myself. If I feed into the shame, blame, and guilt, because I see a lot of people um, that know a lot about herbs and plants and how to take care of themselves, but then when they come into something that seems big, to them, they guess themselves and, you know, make the choice to seek help, like, you know, in the fifth step or sixth step um, or seventh step without really taking, um, you know, much time or even, like, putting much awareness on the first four steps all of a sudden because a lot of second guessing just starts coming in right away. And so that sometimes um, is interesting to me because I have seen that capacity is really important part of the equation um, at this point, at least what I'm seeing with people when they learn about herbs. They, they, they know a lot and they can, they can work with them a lot up to a point, but then if something really big happens and they get thrown off enough, then it's like, where, where is capacity? So I've been aware that myself and just really trying to take that no shame, no blame, no guilt even further and just be have an awareness of my own capacity. And even as it relates to boundaries, you know, when to say no or when, it, oh, this is too much for me. I'm going to deplete myself um, in a way of the ability to take care of myself energetically. Um, like I think we've had a caller talk about that where, um, you know, she can put so much um, feeling into maybe the suffering that others are going through. She doesn't even have to know them, but it seems to drain her. Um, so just, yeah, I think choice, 
control um, and, and capacity, compassion, all those are, yeah, it's, it's an interesting interweaving of those. And the blame, shame, guilt, how, how important it is that those are hmm, not cards used to <laughs> frequently explain what's happening to you and why, what's, you know. <laughs> so. right, you're not, you're not um, being taught a lesson. <laughs> you're not being punished for bad behavior. Right. And even if you don't ever do again, what you did before, that doesn't mean you will avoid those consequences because, as we all know, past performance is really no indication of future success. All you have to do is grow a garden two years in a row to know that. That's so true. That is absolutely so true. And, you know, it's funny because I, I shared with my mom with what had happened, and she, she said, oh, my goodness, you and I are just going to have to stop lifting things that are too heavy for us. And I was like, I was like, oh, my goodness, I feel just the opposite. I said, well, I know I'm going to need to lift things that are heavy, and I want to still be able to do that. So you know what I did? I, I Googled exercise for balance, posture, and flexibility. And I found this marvelous set of just 22 easy exercises I can do every day with nothing but me and the floor and the wall. And it explains why you're doing each one. And it, it was just like the most amazing return on a Google search. I felt like the universe was like, hooray, you found the breadcrumb. You, you, you know, this is, this is exactly an opportunity that could have been delivered from this experience to, you know, take you into the wholeness of, yes, I can lift that heavy thing. So I am, your life is going to be full of heavy lifting. That's right. That, I, that's why when she said that, I was like, no. I was like, I it's not. It's not a one-off. It's, okay, maybe it won't be plywood or sheetrock or whatever it was this time, but it will be endless sun bales of hay. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and the ones we got weighed 62 pounds, so <laughs> they're heavy. They're heavy. It's a no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you don't, you generally don't get a few bales of hay. No, no, and they unload them fast, and they got to be slid, stacked, and lifted, and then yeah, that that's all effort in itself. Yeah. And then you got to work with hay on a regular basis, you know, a little more, a little slower, a little less at a time, but heavy every day. And every yeah. day, every day. Thank goodness. Thank you. Well, that's certainly why I chose to be a homesteader because I saw very clearly way back, way back then that the people who aged well were the people who were vigorous in their daily life. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, mm, blessed be, yes. I always remark when I see people that are over 65 listing things that just you know, you see it like on the sign, must be able to lift 50 pounds, like to apply for this job. And these people are just throwing it around. It's just amazing being outdoors and just choosing a lifestyle where in order to keep up with what you want to do, it just requires this engagement. It's, it, it's, it's a beautiful way to just have my choices help keep motivating me. It's like a spiral. So I, 
I, I love it. It, it reinforces itself. Even when I stumble, there's still opportunities to just keep mm, bringing me back into that. So it's beautiful. My friend, Durga Yael Bernhardt, who illustrated um, Healing Wise and Abundantly Well, writes a blog on food things. And one of her recent ones was kind of a how horrible Roundup is. Thing. I am glossing over the details, so forgive me. And I said, emailed to her, and I said, you know, it's better than what we used to use. And she wrote back and said, I cannot disagree with you more. This many people have been injured by Roundup, and this, these things have happened because of Roundup, and this and that and the other thing. And I wrote back to her and I said, I'm making a comparison. You're not. Mm-hmm. You're telling me Roundup is this, Roundup is that, this, that, and the other, Roundup, Roundup. I said, but I'm comparing it to something else. Because I've been watching the history of food production now for, well, since my early 20s, what, close on to 60 years now. And right now, right now, with 8 billion people on the planet, 1.7% of the population grows food. Wow. Wow. Do you really expect them to go out there and handpick bugs? Oh, wow. This is chemical farming. If we're asking fewer than 2% of us to produce the food for all of us, they need those chemicals because we're not out there. Even 100 years ago, close to 50% of the people were out of the land. It's big big demographic shift in that and she wrote back and she said oh DDT in Agent Orange mm-hmm. and I said yes DDT Agent Orange and other forever chemicals which are still in the environment have been replaced by Roundup it's not nice it's certainly not my ideal. On the other hand, I have been incredibly impressed with how well Roundup stays put. Mm. Justine shares a herbaceous border with her neighbor. This is a narrow strip of land, maybe eight feet from side to side and long, right? A long, narrow strip with a 
fence, little, you know, fence down in the middle of it, not some big fence. It's like a little white rail fence, like a see-through fence. And the neighbor puts Roundup on his side. And on Justine's side of the fence, goldenrod and echinacea and grapevines and garlic, mustard, and all kinds of things grow. Because Roundup doesn't spread. If it's on the food, it's because it's been put on the food. It's not because it, like, spread. If it's um, in the bread, it's because it's been sprayed on the wheat. Uh-huh. All right. And, hey, all the more reason for getting organic. But it's still better than DDT and Agent Orange. When I first visited New Zealand, the organic farms were using Agent Orange and Agent Tangerine, actually. Oh, my. The, there are four, I think four or five aquifers under Christchurch, the biggest city in New Zealand, the South Island, and Auckland, of course, the biggest in the North Island. Um, and all of the aquifers under Christchurch are contaminated with these forever chemicals from the farms. Mm. Mm. Wow. So there's a lot going on, and it's generally far more complicated than most people would have you believe. That's for sure, and it's so true what you say about, you know, a comparison. I I had a similar conversation. I can't even remember the co- the topic, but it was with my husband, and it was like, you know, no, I didn't say, you know, it's it's so important that it's the comparative nature of a conversation can be heard and allowed because it's totally different than you saying like, oh, I think Roundup is the best thing since sliced bread and we should put it everywhere. Um, that's totally different than having it in a comparative against what else is available and the options available of not having enough food um, or using the old chemicals instead to have enough food. So, I like, yeah, it's really important that we can hear each other and not um, overly limit, like you said, really complex things. It's not, not always just that simple. Hmm. And... I am still seeing so many callers, but nobody who um, is wanting to put their hand up yet. Uh, We do have an opportunity still. We've got about 48 minutes for questions before our guest joins us. Uh, So if you've got a question tonight, just press 1, and that will get your hand up in the queue. And um, it will be your time to go live with Susan. So I am looking for any hands and not seeing them, but... I will let you know, Susan, if you've got one or two or three. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Um, have you heard of anything about uh, 
this in terms of health, but of, of dogs. So I heard first about it, just ran, like, not, not a lot, just caught, caught it an earshot of it, that some canine respiratory illness, they're calling it, was going around because they couldn't, despite the testing and despite it showing up in several states, they, but none of the tests were coming back with any virus or bacterial conclusion. So they're not sure what's causing the respiratory illness. Um, yes, dogs, yeah, very mysterious, huh? Yes. Um, and so then lo and behold, a, seems to be being passed from dog to dog. I, of course, Justine has a small dog, P.T., and uh, so when I went out to California, um, all the dog people were talking about this, and mm. I had said, oh, one of the things I was really looking forward to was going to the dog parks, because we had a great time at the dog parks last year, and she said, no dog parks. Mm. Yeah. And those are the, the cautions, just saying, keep, just keep, keep your pet isolated, take your pet for walks, don't let your pet, like, sniff up with other dogs, don't take your pet to dog parks. That, I've, I've heard the similar things. Um, meanwhile, in Texas, my in-laws traveled right before Thanksgiving, and they had a pet sitter. And um, they came home, and my mother-in-law noticed a dog coughed. And this oh. was before, really, it, anything came out on the news. Um, but when she thinks back, that's when it started. Um, but at Thanksgiving, by Thanksgiving, he had a full-blown cough, taken him to the vet, and the vet um, was aware that there was this illness going around. So he did go ahead right from the get-go and put him on steroids and antibiotics. But he's now gone through two courses of both, and it subsided, but it's not gone. And so it got worse again, and she took him back yesterday because she said he was just, like, so full of, it sounded like congestion, that he was just snoring horribly and, like, she couldn't sleep the night before. Um, but the vet this time put him on an antihistamine, and that seemed to be helping um, with the breathing. But it's just interesting because, you know, he's maybe a middle-aged dog, but to be going on now for, like, probably the third week of it. And it's just interesting. Do you have any suggestions? Like, if the dog you knew, like, T or somebody had a dog, like, my mother-in-law, like, what would you suggest? Like, Mullen or, I mean, I, did, I don't know. So you said that she took the dog to the vet and got what kinds of drugs? So the first go-around, they did an X-ray of the lungs to make sure that it wasn't, like, a common fungal infection that would appear like glass shards in the lungs. And so once that mm-hmm. had been ruled, um, then they gave... Um, steroids, and some type of antibiotic. And um, Right there, right, right there at that point, I'm a great believer in adding in the herbs. Mm. So I say, okay, um, we need um, steroidal herbs and antibiotic herbs. What do I have that would work well for dogs. Steroidal parts of plants are frequently found in their roots. So any root that I had and 
Ritz a dog could probably get away with giving it some tincture and some milk or yogurt, like maybe osha root or kava root or even yam root is an anti-steroidal. Or as a stir, as a stir, you know, uh, something that's going to calm the inflammation. Right. A source of healthy steroids for the body. And then echinacea or yarrow or usnea, some broad, very effective um, antibiotic, antibacterial herb to be taken in conjunction with the drugs. Because the drugs are only for a certain length of time. Mm. Uh And then once the prescriptions have run their course, we can continue with the herbs because the herbs have provided, as we were talking about at the very beginning of the show, a basis for ongoing rebuilding of health. Whereas with the drugs, if we just use the drugs, and then, as you say, then you have to go back, then actually you're starting to really have a major impact on health because you haven't created a foundation or a support. Definitely. Definitely. It's not at any point too late. OSHA, of course, whenever there's any kind of seemingly allergic reaction, I think, of OSHA. For a grown human being of 150 pounds, three drops of OSHA is plenty. So depending on the size of the dog, anywhere from one to three drops of OSHA could be used a couple of times a day in addition to any steroid medication. And similarly... I have used echinacea along with antibiotics over and over and over again. I'll be talking about that in session two and session three of your herbal medicine chest. And find that the effectiveness of the antibiotics is perhaps enhanced. And there are some studies that seem to show that. And certainly not hindered. Wow, that's... Cool. That that's really cool. Plants are so smart. <laughs> yeah. It's not like the echinacea and the antibiotic are gonna fight to the death. <laughs> right. I found myself and saying I... last night that herbs are generalists and drugs are specialists. Mm. And that we get confused because we think that herbs are supposed to be specialists. Wow. Yeah, and so for something like this where they don't even know what it is enough to have something special, it seems like herbs really would be an excellent complement. And, yeah, yeah, definitely. Certainly mentioned that. I if anybody else listening has a pet or a friend with a pet going through that, you know, it's hopefully helpful. Because I know going back yeah. to the and, vet. You know, and, you know, how much I love Ella campaign whenever something is going on in the lungs. 
Mm. It, is also, it is also like OSHA. This is a root, right? So even if you don't have the OSHA, again, just one to three drops of elegant paint tincture is plenty for a full-grown adult. I use five to ten drops of elegant paint tincture. Wow. I have some, but I've never used it. So, but it's handmade, so I thought. Yeah. Right. Well, I hope PD stays well. And hopefully it's not down there in Costa Rica so we can have a fun time out on the beach. Hopefully it's not going on down there. I haven't heard yet. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully they figure out what it is so they can at least uh, be aware of how to treat it or what what's going on with that. Stop it. So, um, again, I'll remind everyone that this is your time to have um, questions and answers and expert advice from Susan. So, please, if you have a question this evening, don't be shy. Just go ahead and press one, and your hand will go up in the queue. You've got about 28 minutes before our guest is scheduled to join us. And I hear she's joining us from Thailand this evening, which I think that's the first for me. I don't think I've ever been on a live call with anyone from Thailand, so that's going to be fun. I don't know what time it is there for her. I wonder, wonder what time it is in Thailand. <laughs> yeah. Is it maybe over there the on the other side of the world. Right. Yeah. Way across, way around. <laughs> <laughs> It's about six to eight hours um, earlier over there in Europe, and it's about, I think, like 16 hours earlier in Australia, New Zealand. So I guess mm. something, something between that, like maybe, maybe it is really half the world around from us and 12 hours different. Wow. We'll be having her morning sunrise, and we're now just tucked in. <laughs> we'll have to ask her when she comes on. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, technology, for letting it all be possible. Such ease and grace. <laughs> uh, so um, I've been looking for people to also submit clover shorts, and I came across a fun one. I was curious if you'd ever heard of this or tried it. Um, have you ever heard of red clover jam? No. Yes. You boil the red clover with sugar? Yes, and it turns such a beautiful color. It Ooh. looks so yummy. Yeah. So yummy. Oh. Well, I suspect that of all of the conferences, that the kitchen for the Red Clover Conference is going to be the busiest kitchen. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. So that's where we share recipes and things, right? Do people do videos of their recipes, or do they just They can do videos, or they can just, um, you know, send in emails or written things of their recipes. Mm, nice. So they don't have to 
willing to make it on camera. But if you want to endeavor in that, that's, it's so yeah. fun. It was so fun simple the way this woman did it and it was just interesting to see it all especially when it came together how beautiful it was really I'm I'm inspired I want to try it <laughs> it was the cover jams but she kept the blossoms in it it was all blossoms yeah yeah it was um no she strained them out at the end there was um I don't know if she called it jelly or jam but they were not but in to- the final job jelly if it's just the gel. Okay, it was just the gel. So, the red, the red clover. clover. Like, wow. And, and the red clover has enough anthocyanins in it that it actually colors the jelly, right? Mm-hmm. It does. It does. It's not like a deep red, like a hypericum oil or something, but no, no, it's no, a... No. No, no, no. It's a real pretty color. Like what you would expect when you look at a red clover and... Um, it's, it's, oh, it was, it looked just so beautiful. You could still see through it. There was, you know, it's translucent enough where you could mm. just, um, and it just looked yummy. <laughs> what a fun way for a red clover is what I thought. Like, oh my gosh, I would even maybe eat toast if I had that jelly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been making cranberry sauce. Most mm. cranberries are in the supermarket and the weather starts to get chillier and the days shorter I have a great craving for cranberries I think they're the superfood of North America you know shove over goji berries and acai and all of those other things even blueberries I think cranberries really are like the queen of it all. And I love to um, make different kinds of cranberry sauce every time I make cranberry sauce. This time, I continue to put some apples in the cranberry sauce. I can put about one diced apple, pretty large-sized diced apple, in for a whole bag. I think it's about a 10 to 12-ounce bag of cranberries. And... I like it because then I can use less sweetener because the apple adds sweet. And the cranberries are pretty tart. And in this one, I also added grated fresh ginger. I still had a couple of hands of ginger from the CSA. The CSA grew ginger at the greenhouse this summer. And I still had some mm-hmm. of that. I grated that up. And I used quite a bit. I would say I used maybe, oh, Two heaping tablespoons of grated ginger per bag of cranberries. I always make a double recipe. We like cranberry sauce a lot. And um, then I um, looked into my citrus peel stashes to see what I wanted to use because I do like to, for winter use, get all of the components of the citrus peel into my cranberry sauce. There are a lot of really healthy, good things in citrus peel. And as you recall, my friend Betsy lives in Tucson, and whenever she can, she sends me organic citrus. And I dry every single bit of it, save it, and... This time I chose tangerine peel. 
mean, mm. I cut them, cut them into little bitty pieces. The peel from, I don't know, maybe half of a tangerine, maybe one small tangerine. It's a fair amount of tangerine peel from my two bags of cranberries. And it tastes so tangerine. Even wow. with the in there, you can really taste the tangerine flavor. There's no pulp. It's just the tangerine peel organic, which I keep frozen, dry, and then keep in the freezer, which keeps it at maximum aromatics. So then when it's in there, it just like bursts into flavor. And then mm. I am. Uh, I had a little uh, organic sugar and a little uh, water from my own spring and cook it and cook it. And I usually cook it until it's starting to get shiny, stirring it. And that means that the pectin from the cranberries and the apples is really starting to activate. And at that point, I'll often turn it off and just let it sit kind of in its own heat for a while, and then finish cooking it later. And this also really allows the pectin to activate and to make that really good, thick cranberry sauce that we want. And then I finish cooking it to however cooked I want it to be. I uh, generally don't go, you know, all the way to trying to make it a really even mush. I don't mind if there's still a few berries um, floating around, but I do cut the pieces of citrus peel up small enough so that you're not like chewing on hunks of citrus peel. And there's like, oh, fingernail paring sizes pieces. Mmm. Wow. How much fun, all with cranberries and citrus. <laughs> yeah. And then we have this healthy, you know, vitamin C rich condiment. It only takes mm. like a couple of spoonfuls on your plate to get all of the all of the benefits of the citrus peel and the pectin and the vitamin C and the whoosh of the cranberries, all of the unique antioxidants that cranberries carry. Mm. Mm, Going strong into the winter. So glad that I have elderberry as a backup, but sure do love cranberry. Mm, Do you ever, I'm just imagining and wondering what would it taste like to have a little bit of that with some of your goat cheese and the piece of the yummy bread that you always have in the basket. Just seems like, oh, that might be yummy together. Oh, my goodness. Mm, I think we should just take a moment of well, we savor that. <laughs> homemade bread, homemade cheese, and homemade cranberry sauce. Oh, life is simple and easy. And in that combination, yes. I think there is something for everyone. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, well, I'm going to make that reminder one more time about pressing number one. We've got about 18 minutes, so everyone who's thinking they might have a question has enough time to push number one and see if they can be the person who gets their line open. Um, if we don't have any more questions before the guest, um, I, you know, I have other fun stuff to share, especially in the vein of cooking. Um, I'm not seeing a one yet, but if I do, I'll, I'll stop. But I was... Um, Someone shared, you know, Jackie Otter. Hi, Jackie, if you're listening. 
she shared something with me today that was brand new, and I'll, I'll share that if I can. So it was the tale of La Bafana. Have you heard of, of this? And the witch's cake is, is what it's all about for this time of year. Tell us, tell us, tell us. So she sent this, and it's so interesting. So um, it's called the witch's cake, or La Bafana. It's a fruity golden cake with a dash of spirit. And so it's an old Venetian legend um, throughout Italy. And um, it is a really interesting thing. So there's all different ways to make the, the cake. And when you started talking about the peel of the orange, you can use that in there. Um, fruits of the earth. It says, the Bafana cake recipe is inspired by the Venetian traditions, um, and it contains cornmeal, dried fruit, fennel seeds, grappa. Before ovens, it was wrapped in the leaves of cabbage and cooked under the hearth. So, um, there's, yeah, you'll, if you check out Bafana cakes, you'll, you'll see all different types of recipes or in, inspirations there. Um, and what's so interesting about this is, you know, so many of the old goddess legends had gotten or pagan legends have gotten reworked to fit Christianity or other traditions. And um, it's interesting because this goddess has really not lost her place in the story. Um, it goes back to, I guess, 13th century and um, the Christian overlay did come into the story, but not entirely. And it says that, the old Twelfth Night Feast became the Christian Feast of Epiphany, um, but um, she has not lost her place where, let's see if I can find it real quick. So basically she was out in the middle of the night um, on the night that Jesus was born, and she came across the three wise men. And the three wise men asked this old woman, you know, what she was doing out in the night and told her that she better bring gifts because the baby Jesus was born and, you know, stated his place and how important that was. And so after being told this by the three wise men, she said no. She refused. (laughs) Um, So then in the Christian legend of it, they went on to say that – she was repentant, how appropriate for tonight's call. She was repentant about that after the fact, and in regretting her decision, she set out to bring gifts um, to, to baby Jesus, and in not being able to find him, she would leave gifts for all of the other children instead. So it was kind of an original version of Santa Claus. Wow. Yeah. You know, there's all questions about yeah, all kinds of fun questions can be thought about with that, um, the author suggests, you know, about why is this old woman out in the middle of the night and what, what leftover stuff is going on there. So it's fun to see the illustrations Jackie sent to you. But La Bafana, and I had never heard of this goddess. They even compare her to Baba Yaga. Can you spell that? Yes. Uh, B E B is in four or beautiful. B is in beautiful. E S as in family. A N as in Nancy. A. (coughs) 
the author. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm choking on my recovery infusion here. Oh. (coughs) It is not advised to try to swallow and talk at the same time. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Goodness gracious. Say so much. Uh-oh. Uh, so, <laughs> carry on a little bit more. Give me another minute to catch my breath, please. Absolutely. Yeah, so what me about this is I've started hearing about um, women goddesses that were associated with reindeer in the forest in this time of the year, and even learning that Rudolph had to have been a female reindeer because only females keep their antlers during the winter. So there's just all types of opportunities to look into the We may have learned growing up in this current modern I didn't know that about female reindeer. Yeah, you didn't know that? The yeah. male reindeer drop their antlers, but the females keep them? Do the females the keep winter. them year-round? Yep, that's right. So Rudolph has a girl. <laughs> Wow, well, all of them had to be girls then, because they all had... Yep, that's right. There's a whole herd of female reindeer flying through the sky with their female... <laughs> Isn't that Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's, yeah, it, it makes you, me wonder, you know, like, did the author know that, or was it maybe just their wise, wise, wise old, old, ancient granny coming through and saying, ha, 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 let's do some reindeer in the middle of winter. You can say there's a place, but uh-uh. <laughs> no, I yeah. think, you know, more it's just that um, it's not part of our culture, so we don't know that. And really, we're so used to seeing reindeer with antlers mm-hmm. that I'm sure that that others, as well as I, were startled to hear you say, oh, it has to be female, because only the females keep their antlers in the winter. Right. It's backwards of what what I would have thought. Right. Right. I mean, who would even, like, again, because they're not in our culture, who of us would even think of a reindeer in the summer? Hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they live in the cold all year, so. (laughs) (coughs) But even there, it is summer, and it's long, long days of summer because it's so high Mm -hmm. up near the pole. Right hardly get any night, right? It's like Alaska or even more. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a fun article. It goes into all kinds of details. Um, it's, I don't even and know where to find Jackie it. And you said Jackie sent you the article, and the article was published where? Or um, It's online on a website called gathervictoria.com. Gather Victoria. Okay, pretty easy. Yep. Victoria.com. 
So the article is five years old, but even, oh, the pictures of the cakes are beautiful, and then they have these beautiful stuffed dolls um, representing the old witch. It's just fun. There's so much here, and the imagery is very, it's, I just love seeing the imagery. Even this one of the woman, she almost looks like a witch. You know, she's walking in the snow with the broom, carrying the lantern and all the toys on her back, and it's like, oh, my goodness, look at that imagery. like a nice cozy blanket got put over top of me in that moment. That was that was a nice feeling too. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. So are you still thinking you may try to um have a rendezvous if your goat does another heat? Oh definitely. Definitely going up to Cover oh, John's Nice. I'll I, I in a few days, a few days to a week. We'll oh. see if we can reconvene at the old corral there. <laughs> Hopefully they're ready this time. They'll, they'll have a sense of what's coming when they when they know they're getting loaded into the car. Oh, it's date time. They'll, they'll be ready. Well, right. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll right. See. Yeah, I know. It's amazing how fast time flies. Because yesterday, I noticed one of ours, the first one who was cycling, go, go back into her, probably her last heat for the season. Oh. I was like, has it already been that many days? And that many days, eighteen to twenty-one days, three weeks. Yeah, the time is moving. The days are short, and the time is still ticking on by fast. At least at this point. Mm. And I do yes, see that Don. We, we always oh. tease right out the window of the healing room 
is a suet feeder that hangs in a small tree there. Now, I always try to make sure that there's suet in the feeder. If there's going to be a treatment going on, we call it the bird TV. Oh, wow. So I went out with some suet in the feeder for some bird TV for my massage the other evening, but by the time I had the massage, it was pitch dark. And we laughed. I said, oh, the birds are sound asleep. Sorry, the TV is off. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, so will you schedule morning massages, or will you just have to have no birds? No, I, no I, I really very much prefer to have my massage at the end of the day so that I can just kind of yeah. luxuriate, not have to stir myself. Agreed. 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 Wow. Well, you'll appreciate the birds even more in the spring then when the light is long at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. And I do see that our guest from all the way across, around the other side, um, Don Del Vecchio, I do see is in the queue with us now. Let's move right in to talking to and welcoming Don Del Vecchio, M.A., Ascension Guide, Priestess, Astrologer, Divine Mother Channel, and Earth Gaia Devotee. For more than 38 years, Don Del Vecchio has been a devotee of Divine Mother and Mother Gaia. Over these years, she has cultivated mastery as a teacher, ceremonial facilitator, spiritual guide, tarot, and soul astrology reader. Dawn is the founder of the Return of the Priestess Speaker Series, the Return of the Priestess Private Community, co-founder of the monthly Prayers for Humanity monthly gatherings online, and the lineage bearer of the Mother Spirit Priestess Line. Dawn is also a dedicated student of the practice of forgiveness. And Christ Consciousness has, is taught in A Course in Miracles. Since 2017, Dawn has been hosting retreats and online courses for women called to the path of sacred feminine leadership. Her work is devoted to supporting women who wish to embody the feminine ray of the divine that they may serve humanity's awakening and lead with love. Welcome to the show, Dawn. Thank you, Susan. It's really an honor to be here. Well, tell us actually where you are um, is it true that you're in Indonesia right now? I'm actually in Thailand right now. I'm in northern Thailand in a, the Thailand. second city, which is called Chiang Mai. And what takes you there? Well, it's a long story, but basically <clears throat> about I've been coming here on and off, or you know, most years, for 25 years. And there were four years when I lived here back in 2003 to seven or whatever that was. And um, this is just kind of a, a second soul home for me. It's where I come in the winters to get out of the cold. I'm not a fan of the cold. 
And uh, just uh, because I work online, I can work from anywhere. So I hang out here and ride my motorcycle and swim a lot and bird watch and walk in the hills, etc. How marvelous. We were wondering what time it is there. It is 8.58 a.m., so I'm exactly 12 hours ahead of you on the East Coast. That's just what we guessed, that you were exactly on the other side of the planet from us. What mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> so um, you say that you are a priestess. What Do you want to tell us about that? What do you mean that you're a priestess? Is that a yeah. priest with an S on the end? <laughs> well, for me, a priestess is a sacred feminine leader. It's a, a, a woman who feels called to, and devoted to the divine, the, fe, the feminine ray of the divine, and who wants to live her life in accordance with keeping the sacred, keeping the sacred alive. And it's a, it's a return of an ancient line of feminine leaders and and space holders who were the holy ones long before patriarchy. Uh, when we, when we ha- were in the temple, when we were holding a field of frequency for consciousness on earth, uh, in communion with the earth, in communion with the heavens, in communion with the divine and with each other. And at this time on the planet, as we are going through this incredible consciousness ascension and, and the dismantling of the old systems, the priestesses have returned, the, the, the women who identify as holy women, as medicine women, and we've been returning for decades now, but now we are literally all over the world. Uh, this, this summit I hold each year, I've interviewed about 90 women now on six of our seven continents who serve in some capacity as sacred feminine leaders. I have a difficult time with the word feminine. What do you mean by it? Oh, interesting. Let me just tune into that. Uh, you see, I'm not okay. at all feminine. Uh-huh. I run a chainsaw. Uh-huh. I don't look yeah. I don't look good pink. Ruffles get in my way. I was yeah. an early adopter of bean boots, but I am female. Right, right. Okay, great. So thank you for contextualizing that a little bit. So for me, the feminine is an aspect within female and male. And uh, so I'm referring to the receptive aspect. So there's the active principle and the receptive. And as a, as a female, as a woman, I, I also have a very strong masculine. I have uh, incarnational memories of being a warrior, and I spent I spent 12 years in this incarnation doing uh, practicing the arts of war, being a kickboxer, etc., working with men all the time. So um, I have that as well. But the feminine aspect is more the receptive, intuitive, um, the the one who feels into things. And this this is this aspect, or what I call the divine feminine ray of the one, is awakening within females and males I hope that does that does that help you can ask me you know kind of tease it out more if you'd like Uh um it puts me off even more 
because it's very binary and very limiting. And it's, you know, and actually something that I've pretty much devoted my life to countering the idea that as a female, I am inherently receptive and non-active. And I find that unpalatable. Uh, actually, that's not how I meant it at all. So let's. So thank you for that, because then maybe I can I can, um, you know, again tease this out a little bit more. I don't I don't feel like boys or girls are inherently anything. However, there has been historically, as we know, many many thousands of years of a, a hierarchical relationship between what we could call the, the, the receptive, intuitive aspects of consciousness uh, embodied or symbolized by the female, um, devalued over the male. And we're coming into a kind of balance, if you will, or a kind of unification of aspects of our consciousness. So it's, as I said, I've been a very, I've had a lot of masculine qualities as well in my, in my journey through this incarnation. And um, this is really about coming into a state of, receptive, intuitive, connective, uh, energetic flow, this kind of thing. It's not about, well, you're female, so therefore you're feminine and receptive. This is, this is about how do I come into a harmonious balance of receiving, receiving guidance, receiving my own feelings for myself, and then taking action into what is aligned with my soul guidance, my higher self, etc., and both of those things in me are expressed as woman. Every mm-hmm. cell in my body contains XX. I am receptive as woman. I am active as woman. There is no part of me that is male or masculine. Mm. Yeah, great. I am only divine female. That is all I can possibly be. I will admit that every man does contain X, Y in his cells, and therefore he must find his divine feminine in order to be whole. Yeah, I agree. It's a different task for men and women. Yes. And it sounds like you are out there in the forefront helping both men and women to discover this. Yes. Well, I mean, my work is, has been mostly with women. However, my, my husband does work deeply with men and helping them to heal uh, through, through his work, helping them connect in with not just their own sort of male rite of passage and, you know, healing, wounding from childhood, et cetera, but to beginning to tune into that feminine aspect as well, the sensitive, the receiver, the connection with feelings, the things that men are often taught to truncate in our society. I just barely avoided today getting into a very heated discussion with the men. 
But I held myself back because I realized that there was absolutely no way that he or any man, no matter how sensitive, no matter how compassionate, no matter how empathetic, could really experience the life of a woman. Yeah, I agree. The whole reproductive thing for men is very much something that happens outside you, and for women it's something that happens inside us, and literally inside us. Yeah. And what happened was that someone brought up something pretty explosive in the conversation. I really felt like, ooh, like I really wanted to just really like, you know, say how how bad it was to believe things like that and instead I found myself saying you have to allow yourself to think about what it would be like if your life had been different. Hmm. I've been pregnant four times. I have one child. Hmm. My life would not have included writing books if I had four children. Right. Yeah. I know that. And I'm not even saying, oh, what a waste it would have been. I would have done a lot more a lot more gardening. I'm sure I would have been very, very satisfied. It wasn't mm. what I wanted. What is, wasn't what I wanted. And the first time I made that choice, for myself it wasn't a feminine thing to do mm-hmm. it was very much not a feminine thing to say I choose not to be a mother again because it was illegal and because when, wow. I, when I came to in the hospital after a massive loss of blood there was a policeman next to my bed threatening to throw me in jail wow what man has gone through anything like that Right. But that's not feminine. That's female. Hmm. That's that female. That's that female ability to go right to the date, gate of death. I nearly died in saying, I'm not going to harbor another life in me right now. I bring death to it. I almost killed myself, not on purpose. Mm-hmm. And as women, we have to know that. I tell stories mm-hmm. about men and women. A man came to me after one storytelling session, and he said, I never realized until I heard you talk about it that I've never grown up, that women have to grow up, grow up but men don't. Yes, right? Right? Motherhood so will do that. Honesty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we're not really out of accord at all. I think I'm using the word feminine, which may have been a little off-putting initially, but I do not mean to even begin to suggest that men who claim to be female actually can have that. This is a phrase, sacred feminine leadership came to me with the word priestess back 2016, 15, something like this. 
Um, and so the way that I mean feminine truly is related to the female as, a, as an emissary of Divine Mother. Mm. Yeah. So I don't think we're out of accord at all. It feels very aligned because it's yes. true. As Men emblem, cannot... That she's the emblem bearer of it. Mm, the emblem bearer, yes. Yeah. Beautiful. So tell us more about what you do with women. Yeah. Uh, well, I, um, I have a 13-moon priestess initiation program, which I guide women through. This is an online course. That's kind of my flagship program where we go deep into um, patterns of conditioning. Uh, so there's the personal aspect of the journey for self-healing, as well as training in ceremony, and really coming into the framework of inner standing divine mother and these divine female feminine principles of what it means to lead our lives in a place of devotion. So that's the main thing. I have other online courses and I also lead retreats, which are absolutely wonderful as I, I'm sure you know, because you've been working with people long since before we had online things um, and how wonderful that is. So I get to, we get to have the week together in different beautiful places on the planet for ceremony and celebration and laughter and play and um, deep inner work. All acts of beauty and pleasure are in honor of her. Mm-hmm. Indeed. When people ask me to describe what I mean when I say I'm a high priestess of the goddess, that is my answer. All acts of beauty and pleasure are in honor of her. I remember my mentor, Jean Houston, mm. asked us what the difference was between the ecstasy of Christ's agony <laughs> and the agony of Buddha's ecstasy. Ah, brilliant. In both cases, she suggested that we were looking at a fractured world. Mm. Yeah. In which the somatic necessity of the male to create wholeness within himself because he is fractured within somehow gets written onto the world as though that's what all human beings need to do, but women don't. Mm. We're not fractured, we're already whole. And again, you know, just to circle back to it, for me, feminine has always been held against me. Mm. Yeah. I was too big to be feminine. I was too loud to be feminine. <laughs> I should do, you know, right? Yeah. And how many women have, you know, pared themselves down and curled themselves up to become more feminine because they think that's how they should be? Mm. I have often said that if they let me make up the word, I sure would not have wound up as a feminist. It would have been a femaleist. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and perhaps this is uh, similar to the 80s where we were reclaiming the word witch, 
that this is a reclamation of the wholeness of what it means to be in our feminine energies. Uh, uh, you know, where when, when we're in receivership of guidance. So, for example, when I'm creating a course, it doesn't come from my mind. That's, to me, the very masculine. What it does is I come into stillness, into receptivity. I receive downloads, guidance, vision, ideas, and then I take action with the, what I would call my engaging or or masculine aspect of self, where I then, all right, what needs to be done? How do I write this down? How do I introduce it to people? Like the action steps. What I'm saying to you is that your action comes from yourself as female. You do not have a male part. That's an interesting perspective, and, and I've never actually heard that before. How so. could you have a male part? Every one of your cells is XX. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting perspective. I'll certainly reflect on that. You are double X. You are woman twice. Mm. Everything that comes into you is woman. Everything that comes out of you is woman. Warrior. What is the scariest animal in any situation? Oh, a human male. A mother. Oh, okay, right, right. Yeah, that's true. Mama bear. Mm-hmm. I don't I care. The what human male is up against a mama bear? That human male better tuck tail and run. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> even mama squirrel is going to be after him. Right, right. There is nothing fiercer in this world than a mother. That's female. It's not feminine. Mm. You see, feminine is a cultural thing. 120 years ago, blue was a feminine color because it was soft and calm. And the masculine color was pink because it was a softer red. Hmm, interesting. I didn't know that. You see, our beliefs about masculine and feminine are very plastic, and they change with our culture and with Mm -hmm. how we perceive things. Whereas if we identify as female, we identify with something that is solid, that is connected to the earth, and that isn't swayed by fashion. Mm. Mm. We can each define what female is. We none of us define what feminine is. Feminine is a word put on us. Female is a word that comes from us. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing these really deep insights and reflections. Yeah, I've been working with this for 50 years. It's really important Mm -hmm. to me, and that's why I'm so happy to have you here and so thrilled with the work that you are doing. You also talk a lot about leadership, and we're seeing that more and more, that we are um, encouraging women to stand up and to lead in their way. Do you think that there is a particularly woman's way of leading? Hmm, it's a, that's a great question. I, I, 
I would say it depends on how much conditioning we have in patriarchy. So if we are able to drop that, I'll just speak from my own experience and what I offer women for consideration, which is that uh, we can lead from the center. So, so for example, let me use my retreats as an example. So when I host a retreat, obviously I'm the host, I'm the one who's putting it together, organizing, planning the main, you know, outline of what we're going to do, all of that stuff. We come together and I have the sort of schedule, if you will. But as we come together, there's always space for the wisdom of each sister to share of the, the wisdom and the insights. And then as the week progresses, I encourage and support more and more of each sister's standing up to lead, to lead, to facilitate a ceremony or to lead a certain process or whatever, so that we're in a circle, each voice is equal, each voice is honored, and at the same time, certain expertise or skills are obviously going to lead in that way in certain arenas. So I'm not looking yet, at at least not yet, in terms of my work in the world at things like cultivating political leaders or any of that stuff. To me, that system is still very hierarchical. It's, it's, not, my, it's not my wheelhouse, let's say. So to me, I feel like women can lead from that place of listening, receiving, considering the context of everybody's situation and coming to our own authority and then in, in alignment with the divine in alignment with Mother Earth, and then choose and lead from there. How does one know they're in alignment? Prayer, meditation, devotion, doing, having done enough shadow work to know, you know, oh, it, it, to, to, to be able to discern between the still small voice of spirit and the ego. making mistakes well that too of course finding yourself in safe and secure enough spaces that you can allow yourself to make mistakes yes yeah because I think that's what leadership is really about and I think that's why I see women pull back from it because they don't want to make mistakes Mm. Mm mm-hmm Somebody read a biography of Churchill and said to me, he made a lot of mistakes. I said, he made a lot of decisions. Yeah, certainly in in the personal development space of like, you know, learning to build my business and stuff, one of the things that is a common thread is fail fast. So don't be afraid to fail so that you never act because in your fail, quote unquote, failure, you learn. Just do it fast. Don't wallow in it. It's like, okay, there we go. Learn that. Good lesson. Thank you. Okay. Modify. Move on. Because we have to make decisions. Uh, certainly Churchill is a perfect example of that. Because he did. He made some really gloriously bad decisions, but he also made some very good ones. Mm-hmm. And... Do you have specific ways that you, will you talk about the mantle of the 
good female leader. Is this an image that you use? Do you actually have a mantle that you place on women? Like when I do Crohn's crowning ceremonies, we actually put a crown on the woman if that's what she wants. Hmm. No, I consider the mantle to be more of an energetic, a responsibility to be in alignment with the divine, with Mother Earth, with our soul's guidance. And um, the, our initiations are anointing, an, an anointing in a series of um, prayers because uh, most of the initiations I've done have been online, so we don't have that um, you know, physical space. Understood. Understood. Is Gaia the same to you as Mother Earth? Yes, that, that's how I'm using her name in this in this context. Yeah. So, when you say Earth Gaia, is there a some image you'd like us to have of, of what, like to me, um, the Gaia hypothesis is a hypothesis that the Earth itself has a ability to respond to things. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel in my connection with her as the the mother of my body, of my form, of this earth walk, I have a deep love for Gaia. And I feel that I have lived many, many incarnations here. You know, if a soul can do infinite things, I keep coming back here because of my love for her. Um, And so to me, I experience her as a consciousness as a mother energy and I feel and truly believe that she, those of us who connect with her, whether it's through the Davic realms, through the plants, I also have been a fan and studied your work for many, many years and, and, you know, do my own little bit of wild crafting, tree hugging, earthing, all of that, that she recognizes us. And when we communicate with her and um, be in attunement with her and receive from her. We will we will get guidance, downloads, loving support, the sense of safety, the sense of stabilization of our body mind vehicles and our psyches. All of that. I have a great love for Gaia as a being, as a consciousness, not as a, just a just a you know a planet. She's she's so much more than that. I often tell people that if you give nature an hour, she'll prove to you that you're her favorite child. Oh, yes. Yes. I live in the forest back home. And, I mean, this is, you know, my work is devoted to allow, supports to allow me and support me to go out in the forest and just be with her. Here, too. Here, too, in Chiang Mai. Absolutely. There must be lovely plants. I'm sorry, say that again. You broke up a little bit. Amazing and lovely plants there where you are. Yes. In fact, you know, I 
I, I think it's possible, and maybe eventually I will do this, to find a, a local herbalist. Because I look around and when I walk like on the university campus or there's a hike you can do up to this temple, uh, Buddhist temple, I see plants and I'm like, I know your medicine, I know, but I don't know what you are. So <laughs> I would need someone to teach me. <laughs> well, now that you've put it out in the universe, we know what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> yes, in fact, I heard recently that there is a school you can do. Because, you know, when you travel overseas in countries for more than a month, you need a visa to stay, right? So there is an education visa. Apparently, there is an herbal school. Someone just told me this two days ago that I could I could study at. And I haven't had a chance to look into it yet, but it's, it's, uh, I was surprised because it's usually language schools. But this supposedly is an herbal school, so we'll see. I'll look into it. Fascinating, quite fascinating. Yeah. Is there, is there anything you wanted to talk about tonight that we haven't gotten to yet? Hmm, let's see. I guess the only other thing is just, just to feel that, you know, my, my journey began in 1984. Um, there were six of us who had home births. And uh, our little mother support group turned into a witch's coven. And, uh, and eventually, eventually, I received from my sisters the, the blessing to lead this forward as a, as a mother spirit. And um, it's like we were preparing for so many years, and I know you even much longer, for these times now. For us to stand up and rise and be the light leaders, the love frequency, the honoring of earth and divine mother, it's like there's space for us to do that now. Whereas before it used to be like, you know, whispering to each other, are you going to go to the goddess ceremony on Friday night? You know, <laughs> now, now it's, um, we're able to rise in the light without fear of persecution, i.e. the witch burnings and many other things. And not all sisters on the planet are, obviously. But those of us, certainly in the West, we have uh, a blessing, a freedom. We've been trained. We've been preparing. And I would say now that's that mantle of responsibility to be in the light of love and leadership in whatever way we're called to, because that will be unique for each of us, right? But that this is the time for us to follow what is Divine Mother calling me to? What is the, my sweetest dream? Where am I wanting to unfold and open into a field of possibility that heretofore wasn't available to us for Lord only knows how many thousands of years on this planet? I, too, envision that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. Hmm. And I see that each of us brings to this reweaving a special fiber, a a deckle, a special way of adding to the weaving. And I want to thank you so much for all that you are doing. And, you know, um, I don't know if you have mentioned to people how they can get in touch with you. Have we both forgotten that? Duh. Ah, perhaps, yeah. I mean, the, the best way is just to go to my website, dawndelvecchio.com, and, um, yeah, you can find some information there. If you resonate with what I've shared, you could get on my email list for information on 
you know, I write, I'm a writer too, a professional writer, so I write newsletters and, of course, information when I host retreats, that kind of thing. D-A-W-N-D-E-L-V-E-C-H-I-O, DawnDelvecchio.com. Thank you for adding so beautifully to the reweaving of the healing cloak of the ancients. Sarah Ellen, thank you for once again and in so many ways helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And to all of you who are listening, whose lives were so lovely, you had no problems tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Green blessings and good night. Thank you.